Eli McLeod is an entrepreneur with a unique plan to build 300 solo businesses he wants to give to persons seeking freedom and dignity through Panama City Circle. In this episode, we discuss his six-month stay in Uganda, how he landed on his philanthropic mission, spirituality, and how changing your perspective can change your life. Thanks for listening to Initial Success. All right. Can we start off with a cheers? Absolutely. With the water? Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's interesting. That's what happened the first time we met. Oh, it took yeah. a few minutes, but we had to cheers. We just grabbed a few beers. We went outside to the, uh, to the you know, the deck and we just yeah. started cheers and we all started talking away. That's true. That's true. You know, technically, um, uh, in where I grew up, it's bad luck to cheers with water, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I guess, uh, Italians don't like the hydration celebration, do they? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't know the, the, the root of that, but that's just something that my, my parents always tell me they, when we're at the table and everything, it's like, Oh, here, just cheers them with water. And just like, no, 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 you got to put something in it. Even if it's juice, just anything other than water. Hmm. Like, okay. Or an empty glass, of course. I wonder. So I heard that in Italy for a long time, they just drank wine. And they, because you couldn't really drink the water out there. Yeah, I think that overcome. was true in, in like all over the world, really, for a long time, because water was so unsafe to drink that, you know, a little bit of that was it fermentation mm-hmm. would uh, take care of the bacteria and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, yeah interesting. Could you imagine? <sighs> we live in a world of abundance, man. We have water coming out of a faucet. Yeah. A faucet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can drink that. Yeah, we can. Although, you know, now we're learning more and more about how it's not really all that great for you. You know, you're missing out on a lot of minerals and stuff like that. Um, the added chemicals in there aren't so great for you. But uh, when you look at the water sources in Europe and how they actually care more about the quality of the water running through all the pipes mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. And uh, I, I was kind of exploring that a little bit. When you look at just the sizes of their drinks compared to ours, and I was wondering, I don't have the research on it, but I wonder how much of that has to do with the hydrative qualities of their water versus ours. Because here we drink tons of water, right? Especially fitness people, whatever. I used to be one of them like, oh, I drink a gallon or two of water a day, you know, and then I switched to this kind of water and I drink about, you know, a liter or two a day. And, you know, when you look at any restaurant you go to and they give you these big glasses of water, everywhere you go to the, the drink sizes are massive, but then you go to Europe and they give you this tiny little glass mm-hmm. and this size bottle of water. It actually, usually you get the smaller one, you get like the half liter and that's it. And that's enough. I wonder how much is the quality of the water and how much is the expectation that you're also drinking something else as well with your meal. That leads me to a lot of different questions yes, about what yeah. water is. Yeah. 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 Ooh, man. How does it not like, it's just water. I thought water hydrates you. That's what you would it's say. Like diet yeah. water here in America. Yeah. Diet Coke, diet water, diet yeah. everything. Yeah. Have you ever seen yeah. that, um, that show down to earth on Netflix? No, sir. Oh, it's a great show with, um, what's his name? Um, the actor from uh, Zac Efron. Okay. Yeah. 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 He does this whole show every episode. He goes to a different part of the world and they explore like the culture and different things focused on lifestyle, health, you know, diet, all this kind of stuff. Um, and they have one episode that's in France that's focused entirely around water and how they treat it and everything else. They use, uh, UV lights and 
mm-hmm. all stuff like that, whatever. And, yeah. and, and they had a, a water sommelier come by and like they tested out all this different water and how some of the waters, you know, the, the pH differences, obviously, but then also the, the, the viscosity, like some of them are like oil almost and things like that. And they're super good for you or for all these different reasons, but they, they dive into it pretty well. It's really interesting. I highly recommend it. That is really interesting. I, I saw, um, saw in Africa, they, they can drink completely different types of water that we never could. I actually witnessed that firsthand, but, um, I also heard, uh, I believe his name is Steven show. He was on the Joe Rogan experience a long time ago. And he was talking about how he went off just in Africa for a long, like just a period of time. And they were crazy athletic, right? And they could just drink water from these Brown puddles. And, and they were fine. Mm-hmm. They were fine. Sure. Yeah. He couldn't do that. He would die. Right. Yeah. And so it's just kind of a funny thing where we, we kind of get used to the things we just keep putting in our bodies. Like, are we going to sanitize ourselves to the point where we can't even breathe normal air? I'd rather not. Yeah. I, I'd <laughs> rather not either. Um, but the air is polluted at this point anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. True. True. Yeah. It's a funny conundrum we're in. Yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure we're, we're like taking away the things that are um, you know good for us, for our body to fight against. And then we're polluting all the things we need to keep clean. Mm-hmm. Man, man, we're really going to like Wally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's definitely one of the potential outcomes. Okay. It could it could go either way, right? We could either go to Utopia or yeah. we can go straight down Wally. You know, and what color is your wheelchair? Oh, Mine's orange. Orange. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you too, huh? <laughs> Everything's <Hey>. orange. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. You know, wheeler. I couldn't do that, man. My um, I I have a a dignity in the way that I take care of my body. Mm-hmm. It's no judgment towards anybody else because I could also see quite a lot of dignity in the way that I decorate my little scooter. Sure. But for me right now and the way that I have my temple, um, I, I really want to respect it and keep being able to walk as, as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to keep your body moving no matter what. I mean, I, you see it all the time. You know, there's, there's people that are 70, 80 years old, and there's both sides of the spectrum. You have ones that are more fit than I will ever be. And then some that can't even walk around. And what's the difference? Consistency, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Lifestyle that keeps you there. Yep. So you touched on it a little bit. I'm really excited to kind of dive into your background because I heard a little bit and it's, it sounds interesting as hell. Yeah. So let's just start at the beginning. Where are you from? I'm originally from Colorado. Okay. I've moved 25 times. Nice. Ah, Yes, sir. Um, So these have been places ranging from, obviously, you got Colorado. I lived in Miami, Virginia, um, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia for a while. Uh, Let's see. New Mexico a little bit. Found myself in East Africa for a while. I think that's (laughs) the most interesting one. All right. Let's jump to there. How did you end up in East Africa? I got tired of the U.S., man. I got so tired of it. So I was going to college. I was going to be a police officer. That was my big like, dream. I'm like, I'm going to help people. I'm going to go out there and, you know, be a nice police officer. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's not naive at all. Right. <laughs> like, wait till you start the job, kid. And But I'm going to school anyways, you know, and I'm in this geology class wondering what, what I'm doing like, what the hell am I doing learning about rocks, man? Like, <laughs> I'm going to go fight crime. Like, what am I, like, Batman? Or, like, scan things, and I know that, like, this mineral means that this guy is over here. Like, no, dude. And I'm paying for this. Yeah. Like, I'm paying to learn about rocks when I'm trying to be a cop. 
I'm just like, I'm getting ripped off. And that's not the only class. You know, I'm going right. to all these different classes. I thought I spent from like kindergarten to grade 12 learning about already. And now in order to get a degree, which I didn't even need to be a police officer. Right. I wanted to be a high qualified one. Sure. Um, but I was like, screw it, man. And so I, I dropped out. And I dropped out. I mean, I just like lost motivation and stopped going to college. And so this question kind of comes up, like, what am I going to do next? Who is it that I am? Because clearly the, the life and the path that I'm supposed to take and encouraged to take is not making me happy. And right. I can't do anything. I can't commit myself to anything unless I love it. So I was like, why don't I go out of this first world nation and see what the world is like for people with actual problems? <sighs> yeah, that's... <laughs> So I did it as 20 years old. I didn't go with the group. I wanted to go by myself. That's awesome. Dumbass. That's no, <laughs> honestly, that's, that's a, a high level of wisdom for a 20 year old mm. to recognize that level of, of a problem and actually take action to fix it in, within yourself. Right. Yeah. You, the, the, the problem was your own perspective and that's not something that adults of any age typically recognize. Mm -hmm. So for you to recognize that at 20 and actually do something about it, that's, that's very impressive. So Thank 20 you. years old. Yeah. How explain that to me? Where, where, how did you, how did you pick the location? How did you get there? How did that, what did that look like? Yeah. So I just did a bunch of research. I wanted to go anywhere. At first it was going to be India. I was like, okay. Delhi would be a cool place. Just somewhere that wasn't um, so stuck in this first world, like let's not be the people that might have a little bit more gratitude for the things that we have. Um, like not a billion people squashed into a place, the size of the state of Colorado or maybe mm. a little more and, and, uh, and, and enjoy this. I ended up finding East Africa and Uganda specifically, not because of the location, but because of the host, the host was an orphanage. Oh, I was not going on a mission trip. I refused. I, I treat those, not all of them. I treat many of them with the opinion that they're like a third world Disneyland trip. Ooh, and, okay. And you take pictures with the locals, you go help mm. them out a little bit and you leave and you get to tell all your friends about it. An ego pump. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you helped them a little bit, but did you really bring dignity to them? It's this weird balance. And I, you know, that's an ethical question because you do help them and you do kind of get a little ego boost from it. I didn't want to answer that question. I just went by myself. So I found the host. It was just this orphanage. And they're like, you come, you give us some money up front. You can stay here as many months as you'd like. We'll feed you. You have a room. And that's it. Wow. So the whole trip, by the way, this was back in 20, 2015. I was there for six months. Cost me 2K. Wow. <laughs> yeah. With the plane what? ticket. Yeah. Including the flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Mm hmm. Wow. See, I'm blowing up a balloon because of inflation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, dude, sucks. you couldn't do that now. That's crazy. Yeah. And so they, they just, I mean, how, okay, how, how did that, how did that lifestyle work out? Like you stayed, you stayed with them, they gave you a room, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. and, and how did the meals work? Yeah. Oh, the meals, they worked enough, they were fine. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't what you used to. They weren't five star. No, dude, but they thought, I don't know what it is, but for some reason they gave me enough food to three, like feed three people. Oh. 
And I'm just like, yo, I'm an American. I'm sedentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jokes. Um, but you know, there was a lot of walking. I kind of burned it off a little bit, but I was eating a lot of pasta. Okay. And then we got into the actual Ugandan foods, which are different. There's a stuff called matoki. Okay. Just, What's just, that? It's just mush banana. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's not sweet. It's if you had the consistency of mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. but it was yellow, okay. that's matoki. And you ate it with like this peanut sauce. And they had like poisho. Um, they had cassava. You started getting into lots of um, things that were grown nearby. Uh, talk to me about it. Tell me all about that. Because that's one of the biggest things that I want to like push onto every, not I shouldn't say push on everyone, but encourage everyone is to just find local food right. for God's sake, eat local food. It's, it's better for everything for yeah. your, for your body, for, for pollution, for, mm-hmm. I mean, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Tell me about it. Oh, it's so good. Um, okay. So if you need a snack, no fridge, you just go outside to your avocado tree, grab one and eat it. Or you know what I would do? I would hang out in the hammock in between, like there was a mango tree and another tree with another fruit. I don't remember what that one was because I was eating off that mango tree all yeah. day. You could just grab it, wash it well, and <laughs> eat, eat it. With what kind of water? That brown water you're talking about? Uh, boy, yeah, the brown water, boiled water. We had a well on the property. Nice. Um, and actually, so this orphanage made its money by selling water to the local community because mm. we were one of the few people that had a well. And it wasn't an electric pump. Every day, this this lovely gentleman named Uncle, um, this wise soul, like he, every morning he's like three or four a.m. Right, and he's just like doing the he's doing like curls pretty much. But he's just working just this wheel, yeah, just bringing that bucket up and and pouring it into this little like sand filter that he had, and then it would go into the jerry can, and he was at that for hours all day Man. yeah and that's how it, like they brought in money for for the orphanage and um and they collected their rainwater as well, right which i think is great i we're kind of wasting that out here honestly like there's free water coming from the sky yeah i don't understand uh, is florida one of those states but i know so many states they outlaw collecting rainwater for really? some reason yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing in, in Florida, but there's there's plenty of states in America that you're not allowed to for some reason. Like, they're, just, I don't know, scared that you won't, might not use the town's water, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it could be it, yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's just yeah. it's right there. <laughs> yeah, it's free water from the sky, man. Yeah. I, um, I don't, I'd have to hear their reasoning, but I, it didn't make any sense out there, especially because sometimes in the dry season, because there's two seasons, you have wet season and dry season, and that's it. Like, there's no snow, there's no fall. How long Don't does break it out last? your sweater. Um, it lasts, uh, each one has about a half year time span mixed up into about four cycles, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's every couple months, it just switches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. okay. But the summers are very, very hot, and the winters are very, very wet. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is really bad. It's actually getting worse out there because it's getting hotter in the summers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's either getting more wet or, or way too dry. So it's flooding the plants and the sun is just killing their agriculture. Mm. Um, they have a big problem with locusts now uh, that are coming through, came through a couple of years ago, man. They took out a bunch of their crops. Wow. Um, yeah. So one of the Uganda's best attributes, and we get back to the, like what I experienced out there, but yeah. just to, just to throw it out there is their agriculture. They have a lot of arable land, but the weather um, is getting worse and worse for them by 
by the year, really, by the season. Right. Um, and it's it's a real bummer because there we aren't really treating our soil properly. Sure. We're killing our soil with all these chemicals. And we can't just read that runs out. I don't think people realize that, you yeah. know. Nutrients are a finite resource in our mm. soil. And we keep putting these chemicals in them. This is where I'm gonna stop my expertise because I can't <laughs> tell you what chemicals right. they are. Yeah. Uh, but if we keep doing that, it's going to be harder for us to grow our crops. So we talk about how good it is to eat the food that is around us. There's not always going to be food around us if we right. keep this up. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely a problem. I, I, there was a an episode of Joe Rogan where he had, uh, uh, what was this guy? Sadhguru? Yes. Ah, yeah, yes. 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 And he talked a lot about that. And obviously he knows a lot more about it than me, but it was definitely eye-opening and, mm -hmm. and scary. Terrifying. And, yeah. Dude. Yeah. It, it, definitely, it definitely makes me want to dream of getting together a group of like-minded people buying a couple hundred acres and just having like a little commune of like, we're just going to grow our own food yeah. and just be kind of separated from everybody. We'll just get some Starlink internet and, yeah. and we'll be good to go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just stay out yeah. <laughs> Leave us yeah. alone. Yeah. yeah. Don't touch my soil. Like lettuce doesn't grow in the produce aisle. <laughs> I know we think it does. It's been a long time since we've seen a farm. Hasn't it? We got towers. We got electricity and microwaves and frozen goods and, and FedEx brings our Amazon deliveries. Mm -hmm. But man, like that, lettuce was driven here by some dude's farm which is you know like the soil's not very good anymore and it yeah. might not always be that way i was just exploring this idea too that there's something to the fact that we're, we're so accustomed to the convenience conveniences of first world living and how it, it also detaches us from what it means to work mm -hmm. you know and this idea that we we right now we live in a world where we work to make money so that we can eventually retire. And along the way we can buy all these things that we don't really need. You know, most of it's for status or for convenience, none of it to really enrich your life. Where if you go back to third world type living or even survival type living, right? If, if you're in a survival environment for any reason, situation, you're no longer working a job. You're just doing what needs to get done to help the community around you, right? Whether you're gathering firewood or you're fishing or you're hunting or whatever, you're setting up your shelter, whatever it is. It's just part of what you do mm -hmm. every single day. It's not a job that you get to take a break from whatever. It's just a part of your everyday life. And I think if we start to shift our mentality towards work and put that lens of third world type living or survival type living towards our work, we'll start to realize, okay, I need to do something that is benefiting someone else. I'm not just trying to collect money for myself. I need to actually benefit the community. Mm. And as long as I do that, then I can feel some kind of fulfillment. And then I'm not going to be chasing that early retirement because it won't feel like work. I think that's one of the things that we're kind of missing out when, when people say like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Like, Maybe. Yes. That, that, that's one way to look at it. The way I look at it is if you're actually feeling fulfillment from what you're doing, then you won't be working, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I'm hoping to do with this kind of stuff. You know, I love the idea of just helping people in whatever way I can. That's fulfilling to me, Yeah. you know, and for some people it may be plumbing, you know, it could be, you know, it could be a, a, a doctor, tons of fulfillment there, you know, but it, it could be, you know, taking the waste out. Like that's, 
that's fulfilling if you think about what you're actually providing for people. Like how much disease are you preventing by not letting trash pile up? You know, like people don't realize plumbing. Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time, how plumbers have saved more lives than doctors. Mm. Running water saves lives. Yeah. You know, so I think if we, again, if we just hunker back down to that, I think we can find more fulfillment in what we decide to do for a career. Well said. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so in, in essence, you know, what we want to do is find fulfillment through the things that we do. And work itself seems to have become a moniker for justified suffering in return for money. <laughs> exactly. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly okay. what I'm saying. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, that absolutely. makes sense. I find that agreeable. Um, I can tell you that they did not have waste management in Uganda. <laughs> so garbage all along the walkways, the roadways. It's just everywhere, dude. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Um, Doritos bags, not glass bottles. Cause you could get money for those. Right. They care about that out there. Right. They need that, that extra 15 what, cents. Yeah. What about plastics and stuff all over the place, man? Yeah. They burn it. If it, if it's not on the side of the road, it just goes in the fire and we burn it every night. Mm. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, terrible for what you're burning, but I mean, it's another fuel source to be able to boil that water or whatever yeah. it is that you're doing. Right. Oh, they know better than to boil water with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, they good. don't do it. Yeah. They, oh, they know that. Yeah. yeah. It smells funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't want that yeah. touching. We don't want that smoke. Funny, funny enough, they avoid it, but yet us here in America, everything is plastic. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. No, it's bad. It's all reusable out there, right. um, for the most part. You do have to deal with the trash, is one thing, mm-hmm. and not everything is reusable in the sense. But um, they're much better at reusing than we are. Mm-hmm. They don't have a culture derived around it. But they just have this sense of um, like, hey, if I get a beer bottle, I know that's 15 cents or like a thousand shillings off my next beer. Is that the currency they use? Yeah, it's about 30 cents. Interesting. For, okay. For a thousand shillings. Yeah, it, that inflated a lot too. Um, mm. So a bottle of water back then, it cost me about 3,000 shillings, which is okay. around $1. Okay. Interesting thing. Why the money was so affordable for me out there, um, because it was certainly not an affordable lifestyle in America, but your money basically triples. So what you can buy with $1 generally out there, you could buy with 1000 shillings, Mm -hmm. but for $1, you got 3000 shillings. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I ended up staying there for a while, I got involved in some organizations. I was teaching at a school. And one of the things we did was started, um, like for this health organization specifically, we started a fundraiser video and that was one of the pitches that I used. It's like, look, like you can throw $10 our way, but for Uganda, you're really throwing about $30. Mm-hmm. That's not a value you can find every single time you donate. Sure. And it's true. But here's what's worse. Their gas prices are higher than ours. Mm-hmm. And they don't even make nearly the amount of money that we make. Right. Yeah. That, that's the same thing in Europe too, right? Uh, people, people look at the gas prices. I remember Christine, when we were there for our honeymoon, she's the gas was like, Oh, the gas prices aren't that bad. I'm like, no, no, no. That's per liter. Yes. <laughs> There's four of those Multiply. to every gallon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Holy crap. You start like, doing the math. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think everybody rides scooters and tiny little cars <laughs> over there? Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's cool. It's illuminating. So six months in Uganda. Yes. And you came back mm-hmm. to where? Uh, a lost dark place in <laughs> America physically, but just as a person, right? right okay. <laughs> it's like, what am I, who am I now? Cause you just come back and you hear somebody complaining about something stupid. Actually they're complaining about their own abundance, right? 
Yeah. And I'm just sitting here confused as a person. And uh, so I went into serving others. That was the one thing that I knew how to do. So I worked with developmentally disabled individuals, adults. Um, you know, I helped prepare them for jobs and things like lawn care and, uh, and, and just a variety of things. Yeah. Um, I started working on coming up with ideas for nonprofits, though. Okay. So I'm, I'm still, well, I'm 20 when I get back. So I'm young Still don't know what I'm going to do. I just know that I have a job that's helping people and I like that. But when it comes to a career or my impact on the world, now I'm drawn to the nonprofit space because right. that's kind of how I ended up finding myself in Uganda. Right. Which, by the way, I'm still doing nonprofit work in, in Uganda. Uh, oh, same awesome. people I work out there with. Yeah, we're still doing that work. We build trade schools. We're working on um, some new HIV testing uh, for, for young people who aren't getting tested. Nice. So that's still happening. Yeah. Still tied. Never going to let go of uh, Uganda. That's awesome, man. That's really great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, so you have like, um, I mean, I'm assuming you made a, must've made a bunch of friends there and everything that you, you, you stay in contact with the people that you were living with and uh, not as much. I try my best to, but I yeah. keep getting money uh, solicitations. People start okay. to hand around my WhatsApp phone number. Right. And right. It's right. Just like there's a couple of people that I still connect with. Right. It's a little sad. But yeah, yeah, I can't afford to give the entire nation or the entire village money, honestly. If only, right? Yeah, I would. Well, one day, you know, but yeah, not right hey, now. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not at the moment. But we're, uh, I, I get back 20 years old. So I started working by proposing, hey, you know, nonprofits that are in my town in Colorado. Like, I see that you are still trying to get money. You are trying to get funding. What if you found a way with me to make money, which mm -hmm. isn't trying to get money from rich people, right? but instead taking a look at your assets and me being very creative and coming up with ways for you to monetize them. Okay. And that's what I just started doing. And I found one person who I already knew who was like, okay, sure. Um, I traded my services for a camera. Okay. Because he wasn't going to give me money. Right. Um, but the cameras what got me started. And then that leads to a referral. And all of a sudden, I'm now this weird kind of like consultant for nonprofits. And it's blowing my mind a little bit. Right. Um, where I would just say, look, I'll take a cut of the money that I make you. And you're no longer a beggar trying to get money from the rich people. Mm -hmm. You're a chooser now, making your own income, which you can increase or decrease depending on the effort you put into it and do whatever you want to with that. You don't have to listen to anybody, what they say. You don't have to write out these budgets for them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to bend your knee um, for the people above you. You can actually make a change in new ways where you're at. Them. Can you give me an example of something that you would have them do to earn that money? Yeah. So um, in Seattle, there is a uh, beach cleanup uh, nonprofit. So easy enough, start a newsletter. Start a newsletter, sell ad space, get people out there regularly. And then on top of that, you can just start selling reusable products. Right. So the next iteration, which I was not around for that, um, but I did give them the blueprint for uh, after the newsletter goes out. Candles, lotions, things like that, all with reusable bottles. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Collected from the beach. Um, so people would buy them when they go out to do the beach cleanups. Oh, okay. I got you. I got yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't know. I should check in with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they did that. The newsletter was good. Right. That one worked out really well. And it, it not only made them money with advertising space in the different neighborhoods um, prior to COVID, 
but it did also get their name out in a good way. And people really cared about keeping the area clean. Um, very like justice oriented communities down there and they wanted justice for the ocean. So Mm. (laughs) it's a funny way to put it, but that's how they were. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a success. Um, remind me after this to pick your brain about newsletters because I've been oh, considering yeah. doing one of my own. Oh yeah. I've got some that are going to come out in a couple, um, a couple of years. Fantastic. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right. So, so you end up in Seattle. Yes. Doing that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then from there, and for, so how, how long were you Hold there on. for doing that work? Yeah. 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 So, um, let me tell you about how I got to Seattle. Okay. That's right. an interesting story. I left Colorado on uh, New Year's Eve. And I'm, I'm stepping away from this dream of helping people. I'm now 23 years old. I want to do music. Okay. The pivot. Mm-hmm. The endless line of pivots. Love it. Grew up um, playing music. Um, classically trained. I knew that I had something in me. That what instruments? Uh, guitar, piano, singing, drums, bass. Nice. All of it. Yeah. Except for any like wind instrument. Okay. I, I couldn't ever play that. I was on drum line and, and, you know, in marching band and I was always on percussion. I played drums and jazz band. Nice. Like, um, yeah, a he lot. plays jazz drums. Yeah. Man. Yeah. All right. So I'm so I can respect weird. that. Yeah. No, that's good. No, cause I, I know how I, I, I dabbled in drums and not, not a drummer, but I know that jazz in particular is really difficult it on is. drums. Yes. <laughs> I mean, all instruments cause jazz being so Swing rhythm. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, um, I, lo- I love jazz. Yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, so I'm, I build this van. I'm chasing a girl, but that's the <laughs> I build this van, right? <laughs> the best motivator. Yeah, yeah, of uh-huh. course. What else is going to get me out there? My dreams? No, no, no. For yeah, the story, yeah. it was the dreams. But yeah. we know. We know what it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I build this van because there's no way anybody can afford rents out there anymore because mm. Amazon's out there. It's like 2K a month for a one-bedroom get out of here. I'll, I'll, I'll take that money and put it in a van and live in that. And I spent months working on this. She moved up ahead of me. It's like two days before Christmas. I leave Colorado in the middle of a snowstorm. I drive up through Idaho, spend the night, get caught up in a, a snowstorm. I'm like waking up at four in the morning and there's snow, there's feet around Ooh. me. I'm like a two wheel drive, 1984, like econo line. Nice. I painted it green. Hell yeah. Didn't do me any good. Nope. I still somehow made it out um, of that snowstorm. And so I'm in Oregon. Make it through Oregon down this crazy mountain pass. It's New Year's Eve. 200 something miles away from Seattle in a place called Yakima, Washington. Okay. Thing goes up in smoke. Oh. Blows up. What? Yeah, yeah. The engine, not the whole thing. I, you know, I'm alive. Yeah, well. (laughs) Smoke coming out from the hood, and I'm just sitting here like, no, I'm 200 miles away. I'm going to have dinner with my girlfriend, or dreams. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and I I pull over, and it's Christmas Eve, and I'm all alone, and the, um, no shops are open. I end up getting the van towed to a, a mechanic and I get to a like comfort inn. There's thank goodness somebody was there and there was a Shoney's open. I think and I went in and got a pie. Yes. <laughs> and I just went back on Christmas Eve and just started eating it to myself. Um, like I was like, all right, well time to open up a Bible, see what's up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up making it. Um, I, I stayed there for a couple of days until everything started opening back up. 
specifically the mechanics. And they told me like, hey, van's done. You're you're not gonna, it's totaled, man. You, um, it threw a rod right through the oil oh, can. Yeah, it's man. done, gone. Um, and so I ended up making it to Seattle with a suitcase and a backpack. And that was it. And I just, you just show up, right? And you're like- And that's man. everything you own at this point. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I had a job. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> nope. No, sir. And uh, but you're loaded with talent. Yeah. I'm lo- I just don't give up. I just don't give up. I'm stubborn, man. Yeah. Um, which is a good thing, uh, in my opinion. But it's a high price to pay for success if you're a stubborn person, mm-hmm. in my opinion and experience. Because for the next year and a half, laundry rooms, um, sometimes a hostel, slept in the woods. Um, I have an interesting story about that too. Slept in my office. I had a job. Like I wasn't a bum, right. just expensive, man. Like I couldn't. And I yeah. also, you know, like I had dignity. <laughs> uh, like if, uh, um, like there were times where the first job I got was working at a Starbucks and like I was being treated poorly for what I was giving to my employer. So I left, which isn't very good if you want to secure housing. That's right. my stubbornness. That's the high price you got to pay to have dignity um, yeah. in, in this kind of first world in a way. So but that being said, though, if if the majority of people stuck to their guns that much, then it would kind of shift the culture a little bit to where people will understand that they can't just push people over and run people over. So even though it is tough for the individual to stand by their morals, especially in the work environment and, you know, not just be talked down to by their boss all the time. Mm -hmm. If we just kind of set that precedence, if all of us set that precedence, then the culture will shift and it won't be a problem anymore, or at least be a a lesser problem, you know, but it's always tough being the first one in the office or I agree. whatever. Yeah, know? I'll do it for everybody, man. I don't care. I'll quit any job you give me. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs it? Yeah, give me a couple days. <sighs> uh, so, but the whole time I'm also out there grinding, trying to um, get noticed in a way. I had no actual plan for music. I was just out there at Pike Place um, Market in Seattle. I had a blue suit on and a guitar, and I was just playing as much music as I could. And it never really panned out for me but I did get a job as a music teacher. Oh, nice. Yeah. And this is when I, I learned the perils of working for local businesses because they didn't pay me for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's when I had to start sleeping like in the office. And eventually I, I made it to the woods through my own accord um, because I wasn't respecting the space I was living in because I was pissed at my employers because they weren't paying me and I was losing weight because I couldn't eat. And oh, I, wow. I didn't have a car either. So I was walking like eight miles a day um, eating like two bricks of ramen and, um, and eggs just withering away basically. Yeah. A little bit. People are getting worried about me. Yeah. Uh, I go into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you set up some snares and you caught yourself some squirrels. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went to the convenience store and got myself an ice cream and I went out to the hammock and, uh, some scary stuff, man. There were some, there were times cause this was Bellevue. Um, Washington, which is where Bill Gates and, you know, um, all the rich people live out there. Okay. That's where a lot of fortune 500 companies are at. Gotcha. And their CEOs live there. So it was not Seattle. It's not the city that used to be beautiful and now has a drug crisis and a homeless issue. Like it's, it's this clean, um, if Seattle's Gotham city, Bellevue is metropolis. Gotcha. Clean. Right. 
I'm not welcome there. <laughs> so one night I'm walking into the woods, dude. I'm never going to forget this. I was walking into the woods, being as quiet as I can, probably for like the second, second week straight, thinking that nobody by these apartment buildings that I'm sneaking past is going to be awake or anything like that. I'm almost out to my spot and I see a light following me. Mm. Terrified. Terrified me because now somebody's looking for me. Yep. So I hide behind a tree. <laughs> and as one light, does. Yeah, as one. Yeah, <laughs> I just closed my eyes. <laughs> 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 that old trick. Um, couldn't sleep that night. So I wait a couple nights before I go back to that spot. Mm. Friday night, I, I kind of look to see if anybody's in the parking spots of these apartments to see like, hey, is it okay if I can sneak in here and, and not cause anybody any reason to follow me into the woods with a flashlight again? Yeah. And nobody was parked there. So I relaxed. And I'm like, okay, like this is fine. Like I can make it back there. And I'm still quiet. I'm still tiptoeing, um, you know. I had moccasins on. I'm not sure if those helped. <laughs> and I stopped for a second in the dead of night and I could feel somebody looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, I felt it, man. And I just looked up into the left and this dude was staring at me, brooding at me from his window. Oh, dead eye contact. And then he got scared and ran. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, I man. think he's going to call the p- cops. It's Bellevue, Washington. He's going to call the yeah. FBI. You know, like they're connected. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful people out there. And um, and this is what I did. This is, this is how you find out who you are in those stressful situations. I'm wearing white pants. Why? I don't know. Um, I was reading a lot of like yoga books back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a baby blue uh, sweatshirt on. You know, I clearly wasn't anybody that was ill-intended. Right. And the guy, <laughs> he peeked up from his window seal, and I just smiled and waved at him and walked into the woods. <laughs> so and he's freaked out. Yeah. Like, who is this stranger? Yeah. <laughs> Did you call the cops or anything? Didn't call the cops. Huh. Did not call the cops. I left a nice note for them the next morning <laughs> explaining to them that, hey, for the record, I'm not dangerous <laughs> and I have a job. <laughs> just not a home. <laughs> I just can't afford a home. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I'm from Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gave him my phone number. I was like, hey, if you want me to leave, like, that's fine. I just want you to know, like. I'm not one of those guys. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah, not an yeah, addict. Yeah. Like I'm not yeah. bringing that over here. I just need a place to sleep. And yeah. your backyard seemed real nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hey, and they sent me a message to their credit and they told me their name. Um, and they're like, Hey, you know, you're welcome to be back there for as long as you want for the next week. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, nice. Yeah. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, I'm quitting my job. I'll, I'll be out of here in a week. Anyways, just wanted to finish up the notice. Yeah. And uh, yes, they were cool. But this nice. is a scary moment. Very scary moment. Yeah. And in those scary moments, I don't know if you've ever had these, but the way that you react because you don't have time to think is a real good expression of who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had a few of those for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Smile and wave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
and now I'm having flashbacks now. Um, do me a favor. Can you just pull the mic a little bit closer? Next? Yeah, of course. Um, so, so that happens in, uh, in Washington. Mm. And now, so you're 23, you said now? 23. I probably turned to 24 at that point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, how did you end up here in Panama city? So I ended up here in Panama city by a killer deal. Um, after hurricane Michael, uh, there was somebody who lived in a house that belonged to a relative and a relative knew what was going on with me and said like, Hey, listen, somebody just moved out of this house. I don't have anybody living in it now. I want somebody to live in it. I don't want to live in it. I'm too old. I want to stay in Colorado. Will you please go live in it? And you know, just make sure that the contractors come in and do what they say they're going to do. Right. Um, Cause anybody who doesn't know about like what hurricane Michael did to <sighs> Bay County, they were like brick houses that no longer stood. Yeah. Like, tore them down to the foundation. So I came and made sure the house was taken care of and been a steward over it ever since. Oh, that's good. Which I've taken as a real opportunity um, because it's not something that a lot of people have. Yeah. Yeah. Free yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. Free house. Yeah. So don't like, I don't waste it. That's good. And that's a lot of people would squander here. that opportunity. You know, uh, there, there's something to be said uh, about what happens when you don't own the property. I mean, anybody who's ever rented out a property knows that your renters typically will run it to the ground. Mm -hmm. It's not theirs. They yeah. don't care. Yep. You know, they're not, they're not there for the long haul anyway. So it's, yeah. it, it definitely speaks to your character that you took that on and actually treated it like your own yeah. and, and maintained it, yeah. especially like you said, through, through Hurricane Michael, because there was, for those who don't know, contractors were taking advantage of everybody. Yes. Everybody yep. just taking, taking insurance checks and mm -hmm. doing the shoddiest work Yeah, and running off because they were coming from other States anyway. So no one could get a hold of them. Mm -hmm. You know, they throw up an LLC and then go bankrupt the next day. And yep. that's it. You're gotcha. screwed. Yep. So <sighs> Terrible what happened. That's how I ended up here. Um, very big spiritual connection with the city. And that's probably why I've stayed after moving 25 plus times uh, is because the city was rebuilding itself. Yeah. As was I. And mm. when I, because I don't squander, of course, the opportunity, I do my best to take care of the entire house, which is a lot. But really, the opportunity that I look at is not people are paying rent every single month. Yeah, I'm not. I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. So what can I do to make sure that because I've been afforded this opportunity, I've been given a break. The people who don't have that break, how can I help them? Right. That's how I don't squander that. Um, and and that's what I'm doing with Panama City Circle now. Um, Perfect transition. Tell me all about it because I'm yeah. so curious. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have always tried to start businesses and never really succeeded because I didn't know everything I needed to know in order to get started somewhere along the way minutia popped up or, um, you know, things just defeated me too easily. And I would just get a job, save more money, try another one and just be, you know, same story over and over again. Yep. But what I could do is get a good business started. <laughs> okay. I'm real good at that. I can get customers. I got good marketing, good branding. And so I, I think about it and, uh, and also with the consulting experience as well. Right. Um, that's a big one because that mm. was the thing where I would start it and then just give it to them. Yeah. Move on. So I, that's just my thing. I can start businesses. <laughs> 
So the idea is I'll start the businesses. <laughs> I will start the businesses. I will get them going and I will find people to run them. And then we grow them together. We invest in the individual. We invest in the person running into this business uh, or running this business and being a steward over it to the point where they can buy this business back, where they can own this business in a few years and they're not paying rent anymore. They bought their house, hopefully. Right. Um, like, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to make sure that I find some way to help people with this avenue. But that's the essence of Panama City, um, Panama City Circle, is I want to restore dignity to people in the workplace. Like, I was stubborn. I wouldn't hold the job that didn't respect what I was giving. Mm -hmm. And I've seen way too many people be working these jobs, like breaking themselves mentally. They don't have time with their kids. And they're not, what they can't even make rent without their other person living with them working. It's like, you're no longer with a spouse, like you're with a roommate, you know, in a weird way. Yeah. And it sucks, man. It's just not right. And so I'm, I'm working very hard every single day um, to make sure that I'm meticulous in my planning, that I have everything squared away. So when the time comes this fall and I execute, I'm making a difference by giving people these businesses that they don't have to have the know-how to start up, but with the right willingness to be able to build it to grow and to eventually make enough money with it to buy it. They can take care of themselves and their family without ever having to sacrifice their dignity. Right. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's awesome. And, um, so one of the things that I really like about it that you've told me before is that they're all going to be basically the, the, the new age solopreneur type yes. business, right? So yeah. one, one man businesses mm -hmm. or woman. Yep. Um, and, and so tell me a little bit about that. Why, why, why choose that rather than something, you know, larger? Yes, sir. I read a book called uh, one person, $1 million business. And I, I wish I could remember the name of this author. Um, just Google it for anybody listening, because she documents a very good tale of all these different people who basically threw e-commerce for them. Uh, they were able to make a million dollars in revenue as a business and it's just them. That's wild. That's unheard of. Man. Yeah. That's crazy. And there's so many tools these days to where you can just hire people to perform services for your business where you used to just have to employ them. Right. Okay. So, so you're looking at just contracting out specific tasks. Yeah. You can hire designers. You don't need to, you know, um, or freelancers right. you can, or even like supply chain, you can get blanks now for apparel. Like you have technology has gotten to a point where you can spend less than $500 and start printing your own apparel and sell it and make a profit. Right. You can manufacture a lot of things now without even having to, you know, go to China. Yeah. You can make things at home. You can find ways to sell products. And people are ready to buy these days, too. Sure. Um, we're in a bit of a dystopia. So in my opinion, so I think that there's a lot of money in a certain market that can act as a bridge mm -hmm. for, for everybody, really. And that one person is all it takes these days. Yeah. One person who's willing to, you know, put in the right amount of will to actually prosper. Yeah. And there's no drama. So the types of businesses, are you leaning more towards a product driven business? like selling products 
specifically or service driven or both or what are you thinking? Yes, sir. Product driven. Okay. Um, so there are three criteria I have for the businesses themselves. Okay. The first one is it has to be run by one person. Um, the second one is it has to do something in exchange uh, for the community. So um, profits have to go towards a local cause here in Panama. Can I say where we're at? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Panama yeah. City, Florida. And uh, I guess I already doxed us with the Hurricane I mean, Michael. Not just that, but it's called Panama City Circle. So I'm pretty uh panama <laughs> yeah 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 filming from panama yeah. yes. city panama mm -hmm. yeah the beautiful panama canal out yes. back uh irrigation ditch <laughs> <laughs> the uh um but the last criteria is it has to be scalable right. and that points towards what it is that you're going to be selling mm -hmm. so if the number i have is stupid that's how stubborn i am because i'm gonna do it it's 300 300 businesses so how do you do that and it's no longer about businesses. It's about volume of ideas and responding to the market. It's not this, I sat down and made a business plan. It's this idea of, I've got a whole bunch of spaghetti. I'm going to throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Right. And then I'm going to build off of that 300 times. Mm -hmm. So it's a market response. It's not a business. As long as it's scalable, as long as one person can do it, and as long as I can tie it towards a community cause, it's worth trying. And not all of them are going to work out. But as soon as enough have momentum, then I've got all I need. If I'm making a thousand dollars a month with 33% of the net profits that I have, that's enough to bring somebody in, you know, and just say, Hey, from now on 30, 33% of the profits are yours. Mm -hmm. I'll help you. Right. That's awesome. And I, how much do you think your past experiences, right, between your time in Uganda and your other charity work and stuff like that. How do you think that really influenced that decision there to put one third of the profits as, as a part of, as a contractual obligation for these stewards to maintain? Like how did, how did I come up with the 33% yeah, like of, how, uh, for their, for their salary? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or for that, that goes, that goes to charity. Like, I, I think that's mm. just such a, that, that's such a wonderful piece of the whole puzzle, mm. you know, cause I, I feel like that alone can provide that sense of fulfillment, mm -hmm. you know, for, for the type of person. Well, let's back up actually. How do you think you're going to vet the stewards that you bring into the program? Because obviously you're going to be spending a lot of your time establishing this, these businesses, and you're going to have to take a lot of time in training a, a new steward. And, you know, you only have so much time. And with this goal of 300, how many, I mean, how many can you even do at a time, let alone, you know, if you were to have someone that just doesn't quite fit? Yes. And then you'd have essentially wasted however many mm -hmm. months, weeks, years, I don't know, on, this particular business with a specific person. So how do you, how are you going to vet these stewards? Yeah. So if things don't work out with the steward and the business dies, all right, <laughs> I'll move on <laughs> to the next one. Um, the, but can't get into the habit of that. Right. So I'm willing to accept the loss. Um, I will also say that I, I would not be the only person or I will not be the only person who is running or administering these businesses as it grows. Okay. Um, but the way that I look at it, is that you find your customers based on the values that your business portrays. Um, in fact, I really think of it like magnetism in a way to where 
each person's values are what attract them to a specific brand or product. Uh, whether you're in the store and you see like a certain sock or a design, the clothes that we wear actually right. really reflect our values, the type of water that we get. Um, everything really is a reflection of our values in this world. Sure. So I set the values for the business and then the interview process, which is of course stringent. Um, the most important thing that I'm going to look for is the same values as the business in a person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell them what the business values are. Like I want to see it. Right. And I have to know their why. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Like I have to understand why you would want this to be your last job. Right. I have to like, do you have a kid? Like, are you struggling? Like, do you want to take care of your family? Like, what is it? What drives you? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it has to be a legitimate one. I know a lot of people talk. I know a lot of people yeah. want to be that guy or that girl or that person Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but a lot of us like to talk. No, that makes sense. And, um, lost my train of thought, but so the, the timeline that you're looking to work with is basically not to bring someone in and then create a business with them. You're going to establish the business entirely on your own or mm-hmm. whatever representative would be doing it mm-hmm. and then find someone to fit that business, not the other way around. That is correct. Interesting. Okay. Yep. And it makes the selection process a lot easier uh, because it's values based. The mm-hmm. only way I can know that your values match the business, if you be yourself and I see those values, right? That's it. Like you can lie to me. I can see when people are lying to my face about who they are. Right. It's not hard. Yeah. Um, if you know who you are, I should say for some, for some it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like, you know, you can't bullshit the bullshitter. And right. I spent a lot of time being a bullshitter. <laughs> <laughs> Come at me. Shots fired. Yeah. Yeah. I'll fire, fire away, man. Like we got to be real here. And and the only reason, by the way, I, I have to say this, people, people lie about who they are. It's just because they're still struggling to find out what they have to give to the world. Yeah. No hard feelings, but I know what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And by setting those businesses up in a way which gives a good essence of values, in my opinion, um, or from what I've built it from, based on what the market has responded to, I can find the right person. Okay. That's, that's a great goal. Yeah. I love it. I, I love the idea entirely. Um, so how do you... How do you see this project, let's call it, how do you see this project influencing entrepreneurship broadly? Because this is new, right? This is not, I don't, I don't know of any other business model that's anything like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to give a lot of value to how we look at small businesses. Mm. I would like it to be infectious in the sense of inspiring people outside of Panama City Circle to start their own business. In fact, I would like a lot of people to do that. I want leverage over these, um, you know, employers like not going to say who I shouldn't just I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just look on Indeed.com and hit entry level them. Yeah. I'm, I'm going against them. Right. Um, because why I want the people who are not entrepreneurs who are not part of Panama city circle, but do have a friend or are, you know, purchasing some of our products to say, why am I putting up with this? What yeah. is my value? Like, how is it that this guy can sell when I'm successful, like sell socks and somehow get somebody to make 
however much money, you know, my goal is a hundred K profit per person at the end of it, um, before they buy it themselves. Right. So it's my benchmark. It's unheard of. That's a massive challenge. It's not going to stop me. Like it's I said, impossible, though. stubborn. No, dude, it's not. It's impossible for me to fail, man. I'm 28 <laughs> years old. Love I got it. at least 50 years in me. You know, I'll either yeah, die yeah. trying this at 80, you know, whatever. But, there you go. Um, but, you know, I want people to look at that and say, why not me? Yeah. That's America, man. That's it. You have value to give. Every single person does. If you don't think you do, you just haven't seen it yet. Right. And the best way for you to see it in yourself is to look at somebody who you may have doubted or you haven't seen the value in prosper. And you're going to be like, huh, like, what can I do? Yep. It's going to be for everybody. I don't, I don't know. I know that culture is powerful. And so if I can do this enough with enough people, that'll at least get the needle moving in the right direction for everybody. The idea will spread. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that because I think a, a lot of what stops people from becoming entrepreneurs is that fear of, you know, that, that, uh, I don't know what I'm doing or that imposter syndrome. Like, I don't really deserve this. I don't really know what I'm doing. And then, you know, they, they, they come across hurdles, but the best way to learn is just to do it, Mm -hmm. do it, fail at that one thing you're doing and then find the solution. Especially nowadays, all the solutions to every one of your problems are on the internet somewhere for free. Most of the time, Yeah, right. Watch a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's plenty of people in every space that do some kind of educational videos or blogs or Reddit or, I mean, you name it. If you're hungry for the knowledge, it's there to be had for free. So that's one of the best piece of advice I ever heard was just do it, just Mm -hmm. do it, figure it out. Like I don't, I didn't know about cameras and lighting and whatever. Not that I'm successful yet, but either way I figured it out. You know, it's hardly anything that, that is, entrepreneur driven is that complicated really you know when i'm talking about brain surgery you're talking about starting a business selling a product selling yourself you know maybe maybe providing a service mm-hmm. you can figure it out anyone can and it doesn't take a, a a genius iq to figure that out just do it mm-hmm. yeah it's true there's degrees of difficulty true. um depending on if you're selling things with inventory but you also have this ability to Go on the internet and see what would be the right business for me to where I can manage it. And yeah, like we're, we're sitting in a, a room full of professional audio equipment. And I mean, if you never had this experience before, you figured it out, man. And you're putting out a good podcast. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, I think so. I, this is high quality. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, of course. I'll keep singing your praises, man, because I know it. it I look at every single person like a flower about to bloom. In a way that like everything that we do is much like a seed being planted in the ground, but seeds got to fight through mud. It's got to fight through dirt. It's got to fight through conditions, seasons and whatnot. And eventually at some point it's going to bloom. Um, and so in the same way, like if I look at what any of our network is doing, what you're doing, what I'm doing, the evidence of success is not there in terms of an indicator of numbers, money, viewers, um, social media, like it's not there. So if I'm going to look at somebody and see success, it's the attitude. It's this idea of, you know, volume, consistency. And I don't rob people of their ability. So I can sit here right now talking to you with, I think you have like a hundred people about a um, hundred or less on each episode. Ballpark, yeah. And, um, and I know you're doing more with this channel than just like the podcast, but I don't think of you as somebody with a hundred or less views. 
Like I think of you as somebody who's highly successful already. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, that's the attitude I walked in here with. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cause that's how I see you. Like I see that's probably, and without a doubt in my mind, how it's going to happen. And you know, I look at myself the same way and our, you know, our friend Ross. Um, but I also look at every single person that way who I'm going to be helping with like Panama city circle. And it's why I don't doubt myself and I don't doubt anybody else because we all have it in us. We just have to learn how to water and nourish that and break through that ground, break through all the seasons and finally express ourselves. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that, that's a great perspective because I, you always meet people that have that drive within them and they know for themselves that they can succeed that, you know, whatever it is, whatever dream they have can make it. Well, not everyone. Some people are, have, are defeated. And if you are, you shouldn't be just keep going. Um, but that's a, that's a great new perspective to look at people through their own lens and recognize like, I'm not unique in my drive. Like other people have that same drive. They have the same passion, the same vision. And I think that's a, that's a very noble way to experience new people. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's, that's a really, really good touch. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I think the greatest mind altering substance that exists is our own potential. Nice. Clip it. If you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at other people as though they had fulfilled their potential, you won't think poorly of them anymore. Mm. You'll actually be a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> You'll yeah. be a good supporter of your family. Yeah. You'll be willing to put up with the frustrations if you would give them the genuine nobility and degree of belief in who they can be as though they are already that now. And if you start treating them that way and talking to them that way, there's a big chance that they're actually going to become that. I love it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So don't give up. If you really believe in yourself, then your own potential is a mind altering substance because right. you'll think of yourself differently yeah. and everything you're doing is no longer work, but you're fulfilling yourself. You're fulfilling your potential. Like we were talking about earlier. And that's just it's my opinion. You know, we get defeated in life, but we're all, you know, if we find ourselves in the darkness of, uh, being lost in this world, being lost in this universe. You know, yeah. we, we have to realize that like that light is, there's a choice for that to be there. Like we, we can save ourselves. That's the most liberating responsibility that you can ever have. If you're sad, if you're broke, if you're desperate, if you don't think you have any value to give, if there's nothing in the world, like all the light has gone out and it moves anyways, and you're just standing still, mm-hmm. you can save yourself. In that sense, now there's a lot of other things you can do. You can pray, right? Like, sure. <laughs> but you can take that responsibility mm-hmm. for yourself and say, what is it that I can do now? It's possible. Every single person in this world who has been defeated at the rock bottom, the other side's waiting for you too. Yeah. It's up to you. <sighs> yeah. That's definitely... Um that's definitely the way that I look at it too. And funny, you mentioned the, the, the religious aspect of it. And one of the things that I, I guess you could call it like my hot take on, I'm not, I'm not religious. Um, I, I've, I've funny enough, I've been, I've been like a diehard atheist for like the longest time mm-hmm. until recently when I started 
not, not that I'm now all of a sudden, you know, a believer in, in, in God or a, a deity in, in, in particular, but, uh, starting to see more or appreciate more of the wisdom that comes from all religions, mm-hmm. or at least not all, I shouldn't say all, all the ones that I've looked at so far and that I, that I know even just a little bit of, and, and just looking at them through a different lens and my, one of my, I guess you call it one of my hot takes on, on Christianity, um, I think, I think over the millennia, one thing that I think got mixed up in translation is just the idea of heaven and hell and how we now look at it as the place you go when you die. You either go to here or you go to there. I don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that all the things that are said about heaven and hell are true. I think it's, it all makes perfect sense. Dante's Inferno, right? Mm-hmm. All that idea that you, you live in the hell that you created a bit, it, essentially is what it is, right? It, it, yes. But not in the literal sense of after you die, you live in the hell or the heaven that you create right here on this earth. Take a look around you. Look at the earth that we live on right now. It can be either. There are places you can go right now mm-hmm. that will remind you of the most beautiful idea of heaven you can imagine, and then there are places that are the epitome of the idea of hell. And it's up to you on what you build around you. You create heaven. You create hell. It's all about the choices that you make every single day. And whether it's your career or whether it's the, the first decision you make every single morning. Do I get out of bed? Or do I hit snooze? That decision alone feeds towards are you creating the hell or are you creating a heaven? get up and start working and you'll create a heaven. <laughs> so what's the difference between heaven and hell then? If we're speaking from a psychological manner, which I agree with, by the way, what's the difference? If you were to put one word on heaven and one word on hell, because they're opposites, mm-hmm. you're building one or the other. What are they? Name that seesaw. I think on from a psychological standpoint, heaven is humility and hell is your ego. Hmm. That's, that's the opposition that, that to me is the, is the strongest opposing force within you that to me, when people talk about, you know, God versus the devil or Jesus versus the devil, or, you know, the, the light versus the dark or the white wolf versus the dark wolf or what, how, whatever, you know, evil, good versus evil, all that to me, the manifestation of that in us is your ego fighting your humility. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, that's, that's foundational. And it's something that you have to fight every single day because like darkest, like, like entropy, right? It's inevitable. It's going to happen one way or another, unless you do something about it every single day. My favorite quote of all time, that's basically driven most of my like big life decisions. is by Edmund Burke. It's the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Yeah. Wow. That's it's, it's driven so many decisions in my life. And until recently I was living by it. And then jumping into this realm was me reflecting on that again, because I do believe in my core that I'm a good person, but if I'm not doing any good with myself or for other people then I'm letting evil triumph one way or another, but that happens inside of us every single day right? Evil, right? Which to me is the ego within me 
my ego will succeed every single day by default, unless I do something about it. It's like playing one of those video games, you know, the scrolling video games where like the, 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 the spiked wall is coming at you and you just got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward. It's coming. That's your ego. It's coming. You can beat it. You can get there faster. You can break through those walls, jump over those hurdles. You can, you can do that. But if you stand still and you do nothing, it's going to take you over mm-hmm. or worse yet, you feed into it and you, and you lose even faster. Right. But it's going to win if you do nothing. And I think that is the number one thing that we have to overcome within us to see success outside of us, to create that heaven around us. You first have to create that heaven within you, that light. You have to let that light shine within you by fighting your ego. I think that's the biggest enemy that we all have. And embracing humility. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Reminding yourself that you are just, you are this speck in this vast universe, right? And that your problems are not really problems, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a solution to every problem. And if you see a problem, don't just, don't just, you know, wait for someone else to do something about it. Figure it out. Yeah. Do something about it. Mm -hmm. That's that to me, that's humility, right? Putting your, putting yourself on the line to solve a problem you see as worth solving is a humbling experience, right? Putting your life on the line, saying that my life is not worth this evil thing happening is a, is a a humbling experience. I'm processing the (laughs) the depth of that statement. (laughs) I can certainly on the surface say yes to that. But if you really put yourself in that scenario and you really say yes to it, like you're laying down your sword in a way, where do you think the ego comes from? The ego, where does it come from, man? Um, I think that part of it is a natural resistance to self-reflection. You know, when you, I feel like, when people get irritated, for example, when like, you know, people make fun of Mormons all the time because they're so damn happy all the time, you know, they're so <laughs> cheerful and, and whatever, you know, and whatever you think about Mormons, you can't deny the fact that like they, they, they outwardly appear to be living a really fulfilling, happy life. And people make fun of that. And it becomes a butt of this joke all the time. And maybe because, you know, maybe the religious aspect of it, sure. But what is that? I, I feel like that's a lot of people's egos because it's a reminder of, I'm not that happy. That's possible, you know? And it, it reminds us that we are so flawed and we don't want to face that because to admit that we have these problems that we have to fix is admitting that we have to put in a whole hell of a lot of work and people are afraid of work or some people are afraid of work. You know, I think probably the majority of people just don't want to actually put in the work that is necessary to not let your ego take over. So I think that's one of the places it comes from. Now, evolutionarily, I'm going to have to sit on that one for a while and really think that one through. But, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to really think about that one. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a whole chapter in a book about ego and everything. And oh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm trying to really explore it because 
one of the best pieces of advice for that, that I received was, you know, in that stuck moment, I'm actually going to make a whole video on this, um, was facing, facing my ego and embracing it and killing it. We have to handle ourselves with grace. Yeah. We have to. It's actually a power. We have this weird thing where we believe that there's virtue in being hard on ourselves because mm. then, you know, we've recognized that I've made an error and that's bad. But then, like, <laughs> yeah. but you never get anywhere there. You're right. just stuck in this, you know, like I suck mentality. And if you can learn to handle yourself with grace when you make a mistake, there's a high chance that you will make less mistakes in the future because you don't see yourself as a person that's constantly screwing up. Mm -hmm. You see yourself as a person that messes up with grace. Yep. Tell you what, man, you keep telling yourself that you, you suck and you screw up and you, you know, like I'll, you know, I used to throw a fit, um, over lots of things. As soon as I started handling myself with grace, I stopped throwing fits. I'm a better person for it. And that's where the ego comes in, man. I think that the ego is sourced from one place. Um, Heaven and hell in that same sense is love and for the ego fear. Oh, yes. Biggest fear. Mm. Um, and everything can be sourced down to fear. So the way that I look at the ego is the way that I think Freud describes it, which is just our identity generally. Okay. So who am I if I am not myself? Really? Like I call myself Eli. Uh, I like to drink whatever uh, water is the real answer. Right. We'll, we'll call it Coke or Pepsi. I like to live here. These are my goals. So all of these are subject to change in the real world because life happens. But I am resisting that because I'm fearful. And that is where the ego comes in because it tries to control. It tries to control outcomes. And that's why I think the ego comes from fear. We're trying to control things. We're trying to say things are this way or that way. Um, we are trying to take actions and be hard on ourselves or hard on other people or say this is the way the world works because control makes us feel like we don't have anything to be afraid of, which is a really shitty cover up for being afraid. Right. So the essence of getting over the ego, in my opinion, is just getting over fear itself. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that's um, that's a good take. Yeah, that's what I got from all the religions that I studied as well. Nice. I'm also not religious, but I I have been very curious. You know, uh, I was like, is there a real creator? I was we were talking about like I opened up the Bible on that Christmas Eve, just like, all right, buddy, like, yeah, what do you, you got, got for something me? to say? <laughs> say it now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I found nothing. Um, I actually yeah. like just, which a Christian would tell you it's because you can't command him. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you mean him? Like right. I, yeah. <laughs> just, that's the one thing I don't get. Um, well, I understand why people ascribe a personality sure. to God. But from what I've read about the Bible, like God doesn't show much emotion more so as he shows decisiveness. He, you know, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's personified because we're persons and people. Exactly. Um, I'll tell you what I did for my own belief in God is I just started praying. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's um, like whatever religion is uh, that's secondary to me. And because of that, I don't even ascribe to one, though I've tried. Mm -hmm. What's primary is that if there is a creator of mine and it does exist and it's, you know, wanting some sort of connection with me. Well, let's find out how to access that connection and see what it does. And that's where prayer came in. 
to where if I pray for things and truly believe it every single time in a way that I cannot predict at a time that I cannot predict and in a really strange way, it happens. And that's what drives my faith. Mm-hmm. But it's not a religious faith. Right. It's just this whole like daddy issue faith. <laughs> <laughs> Who's providing for me? You know? right, right. <laughs> but yeah, but truly, um, before I was in the woods, like I was constantly complaining about not having a good place to sleep. And so what did I get? You know, I pray without ceasing, in my opinion. I found myself in a, a place where I did not have any good place to sleep. So I gave my love, which to me is just this force of unification to a bad outcome and persisted in it. That's the recipe for belief. And before I even got a house, right? Where I don't have to, I didn't have to pay anything from a homeless dude to a dude with the house. I was praying for that. I fell asleep in my bed every single night while I was sleeping in the woods, right? Just, just dreaming it up. Um, like braille, I was feeling it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and somehow, you know, just the, the right person came in at the right time. And I ended up finding myself in the exact house I imagined down to the bed sheets. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you look at that. Um, not to mention, I got a free bus pass in Seattle by praying. <laughs> it covered me for a year so I could do my music lessons. Nice. Um, just, but all sorts of stuff, but I'll tell you what stopped me from ever, praying and, and receiving things that I really wanted out of life was fear. Mm-hmm. It was always fear. That was always my responsibility. Yeah. So that's that, why I believe, but it ain't easy. Yeah. You gotta let go of your fears in my experience and, and opinion. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I, I've, I've been doing a lot more, um, looking inward, you know, I, um, funny enough, I, someone, someone I know posted a question. They were obviously, you know, going through a moment and they asked, um, how do you, how do you ask somebody for advice who isn't alive anymore? You know? And the first thing that came to mind is ask them, sit in a quiet room or in a, in a, in a place where you're comfortable and just have that conversation because at the end of the day, you, if it's someone that you're, you're seeking advice from, you probably know them pretty well. Mm-hmm. You probably know about what they would say. Yeah. You know, and if you think you don't, that's the fear mm-hmm. of what the answer is. Right. Mm, okay. I see you know what I mean, yep. if you, if you want to sit there and pretend you don't know what that person you admire is going to tell you that you need to do or whatever, whatever they're, you need them to reveal about yourself. Mm-hmm. You already know it. <laughs> yeah. You're just scared that that's the truth. Yeah. So I, I kind of apply that same idea to the same kind of questions that you may ask a God, you know, or a, a deity or whatever, just ask, ask in yourself, you know? And I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that, that that would be perfectly in line with, with the Christian belief because at the end of the day, right, yeah. he is everything and, and whatever, you know? So, I mean, yes, you, you can apply the same kind of mentality, even if you're a Christian, even if you're not like me or whatever, mm-hmm. it still applies. Just have that conversation with yourself. Look inside yourself. Yes. You know, and that's why, why do you think meditation has been 
you know, a, a practice that's lived thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. and that all the wisest people, you know, yes, meditate. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not having conversations that you can't have. Mm-hmm. Everybody can do it. You just got to take the time to do it. You have to care. You have to have the awareness to, to, to seek that knowledge that you have within you, you know, unless you're still a child and you haven't experienced life enough to really understand like how the world works in general. If you're, if you're half sane and an adult, you can sit in some silence and reflect on yourself and ask yourself the deepest questions you can imagine. and You'll come up with something. Yes. And you'll know when it's true because it'll hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Like a train, yeah. man. Yeah. That yeah. happened to me when I, I was uh, talking about how my friend gave me the, the advice to kill my ego. Yes. And he said, uh, go get fucking cold. <laughs> get really cold. Huh. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you either, you either get cold or you starve yourself. You know, go on a, go on a seven day fast or freeze yourself near to death and kill your ego that way. And I was in such a confusing place that I was, I'll, I'll try anything. So <laughs> I, my ego took over and I was like, oh, but I, I can't do the cold. I was in the Navy for 10 years. I've dove in all kinds of freezing cold water. The cold can't break me. That was my ego. Yeah. So then I, I flipped it right. As soon as I had that thought, I was like, oh, wait, hang on a second. Screw that ego. I'm going to go get cold. And I did. And in the middle of winter, I sat outside soaking wet for like 30, 45 minutes. I don't remember how long it was, but like until I felt warm again. And that was just mind blowing. But the thing was, it wasn't the cold. The, the cold was, was the cold was the conduit for me to sit there and actually reflect on myself. And that's when I started having all, I started having all these revelations of, hang on, why have I been behaving the way that I've been, right? Why have I been making these decisions? Have I actually been a good person or have I just been doing good person things because I wanted the praise? I wanted the pat on the back, one of these things, all these very egotistical ideas. And, you know, the more I started looking at myself, like, yeah, yeah, that's the wrong motivation. And then I kind of started shifting that mentality, but it took that, that extreme shock to my system to figure that out and to just look at myself with no more filters, no more lenses, no more BS, no more. I'm talking to this guy. I'm trying to appear this way, or I'm trying to be something that I'm not. It was just an absolute honest, bare naked, not, not literally bare naked outside, but a bare naked look at myself, you know, as, as natural as I could be. And that's when I started reflecting on the universe and myself. And what is this connection that I have? What is the connection that I, that we all have with each other? What's this connection that we have with the world around us, with the sand, with the water, with the trees, with the animals? Like we're, we're literally all a part of this one ecosystem. And we have this egotistical idea that just because we're humans and we're, where we seem more intelligent than the things around us, that we are somehow above everything else. And no, we're not. No, we're not. I'm, I'm no me as this, as this temporarily living thing that is having these thoughts is no different than the leaf on a tree at the end of the day, right? We're all going to, we're all going to end up in the same place, right? We're all going to end up dirt in this earth, you know? So 
why, why am I placing myself above anyone else? Why am I judging myself to be better than anyone else, let alone anything else? And I'm not, you know, you're, I don't, I don't, I no longer see myself as any better than you, nor you any better than me. We're literally the same thing, you know, as, as with any, any other creature or any other thing on this planet. And once I had that realization, that's when I was really humbled. That's a really good look into you. And, um, one question that I have for you after a, a very, uh, you call it a humbling experience. Um, a confession of self is, mm -hmm. is what I heard from you. Yeah. So if all of these things were emanating as good deeds from the wrong place, mm -hmm. misinformed place, mm -hmm. what's the correct place to do good deeds from? I think overall a good sense of community, you know, that humbling experience that, that tells me that I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. And then realizing that the way the human race in general has even made it this far is community, right? We're not lone wolves. We, we would have never made it anywhere, let alone this far without leaning on each other. So doing good for the sake of humanity's prosperity, not for your own, not for yours, not for the, not specifically for that one person you're doing it for or whatever, but for the general well-being of the human civilization, as well as the planet that we all live on. I think that is that that is a better driving force for good. Yeah, man, that's love. That that that's a you know what? Yes, a much more succinct way to put that would be love. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that I think that um the 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 eternal question that everyone asks, you know, the meaning of life, I think I think that's the best summary. It's just love. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a universal constant. Yeah. Life is a love factory, babe. <laughs> <laughs> no, generally though, I actually, so maybe we can ask this one question if like, I'm not the host, but if, if, before we finish, it's up, a conversation. Like to, yeah. Um, what is love? I alluded to what I think it is earlier, mm. but what is that thing? Cause it's not marriage. It's not a relationship. Like I understand these things represented, mm -hmm. but what is, what is it? What is love? I think love is. I think love is like an energy, like a frequency that is amplified when the thing or person that you're experiencing it with are in tune with one another, you know, like an, like an old radio, right? You have, you have the ability to receive signals, but if you're just a little out of tune, it's going to be static. And then once you guys both, whoever you're experiencing it with, once you guys both get it dialed in just right and the music's playing clear and on time and everything, like that, that's what love feels like to me, right? It's yeah. this, this sinking of 
emotions, feelings, ideas, all those at once. And I think that's, I think that's how I can describe, especially the love that I feel for, you know, the, the non-romantic love that I feel for other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because obviously it's much greater than just the love that you feel with your spouse, mm-hmm. right? It's the love that you feel for friends, family, for strangers, for mm-hmm. many of us, you know? And, and I think, I think that getting back to that humble idea where even the stranger is no better or worse than you opens the door for you to love them all the same. Yeah. And to not judge people for where they're at, you know, especially when you realize that had you lived that same experience as them, you probably would have made the same exact choices and you would have ended up in the same exact place because that's just how life is. And to pretend that you're so much better that you would have done better with the hand that they were dealt compared to what you had. That's ego. Yeah. (laughs) End it. Kill it. That's it. (laughs) You, you just said from what I heard you say after I said, end it, (laughs) I love my soapbox. Is that how I'm using love properly here? Um, Love is a a force of, of unity, which breeds compassion. Mm. Is that what you just said? Yeah. You said it in a poetic way. Yeah, but I, I like your succinct way. I'm, I'm long-winded. <laughs> yeah. Well, me too. I'm, I'm very good at um, being succinct when I hear other people ramble. But man, I'm a good rambler. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I gotta use that for myself. But uh, but yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's a good way to put it. And I, I really did like the scene that you painted. I think that that description of looking into what love is for you is... Um, is precious in a way that a succinct representation while useful, I cannot replicate. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I absolutely love this conversation. We need to do it again. Uh, I I know we have a lot more to to dig into your experiences. Yeah, man. And and we're going to need to do an update on Panama City Circle. Yeah, Um, as it grows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hear about my cage fighting. Oh man! <laughs> How much time we got? No, nah. this camera's gonna die again. Nah. <laughs> Next time. All right. Something yeah, to absolutely. look forward to. Thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.